Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Well, listen, the economy's grown, you know, pretty well. The, the, the GDP data notwithstanding, and there were so many quirks in those numbers in the first and second quarter that nominal or dollar, the dollar value of GDP has been quite strong. When you adjusted for inflation, we got those two negative numbers back to back. But we're, we've got an, an economy that is, is running out of workers, actually. We don't have enough to uh, effectively fuel further job gains. And the Fed is trying to beat back inflation, which, by the way, is always already falling. Gasoline prices have come down 51 days in a row. Other inflation indicators, uh, copper, food prices, all of those are falling as well. Now, so the concern is, does the Fed continue to try to dampen demand and actually push the unemployment rate up to ease any further inflation pressures? Or at some juncture, do they come to the point to decide that this is a kind of a Goldilocks environment? We've we've got a lot of good things going on right now. That's Ron and Sana of CNBC saying that everything is on the up and up and looking great. And he's talking about this jobs report number. This jobs report number for the month of July shows payrolls up 528,000 for the month. Unemployment rate ticking down a tenth to 3.5%. The expectations from Dow Jones, 258,000 jobs. They missed to the up 200 plus thousand which only makes you wonder, how do they come to these types of estimates to begin with? Wage growth went up a half percent for the month, 5.2% year over year. But that's something that we knew with people going back to work. And of course, people looking for good people, not being able to find them. I speak to people in Midwest Main Street. They are desperately looking for people. So the idea uh, that we are having trouble finding people is true. So where are all of these people? They were here, and now they're not. We see more people getting jobs. Where were those jobs received? But are we seeing signs of the economy getting better because gas prices are going down? Or is that the sign of something else? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, great to be with you. Dr. Matt Will joins us right now, economist at the University of Indianapolis. And and you always discuss the fact you're a financial economist. You're not engaging in theory. You're taking a look at real numbers. You're the guy I wanted to talk to. Uh, Ron Insana, not a dumb dude over at CNBC. He's been there for a great number of years. He thinks this is a Goldilocks moment. We're in a good place with the economy. Starting with these jobs numbers that you see here, what does this tell you, and how in the world did the Dow Jones miss so incredibly? Well, first of all, these are good numbers, Tony. 528,000 new jobs. I'm very happy about this. There's nothing that I can say that's bad about that number. It's not. It's a good number. But let me tell you, we are now flat with the pre-pandemic. So when, when the Biden administration compliments themselves on how great job growth is, they can compliment themselves and say, we are now back to exactly where we started from. Tony, there isn't any growth. It's exactly where we started from. In fact, on the growth trajectory, we're probably down. We should have about, uh, about a million more jobs from where we have now. They're way off the mark. I'm sorry, more than a million. I won't bore you with the numbers. But they are not on, this is not correct, Tony. This, we're simply flat to where we were before. In a Goldilocks moment, that's bogus, Tony. We have what I call a lockdown bounce back. Yes, we shut down the economy. We've told you to get rid of your job, and now it's coming back. That's not anything great from Washington, D.C. That's simply the anti-lockdown 
we're bouncing back from that. So when we discuss this, and I've discussed this many times on the show, we're discussing the fact that no new jobs have been created, but we are now, as you're describing it, to the point where the jobs that were lost because of lockdowns, because of shutdowns, because we told certain industries they weren't allowed to be in business, those jobs have returned, which, yes, I, like you, am very happy about. That's different than job growth and job creation. But when you hear people like Ron and Sana talk and you hear the White House talk, we're talking about strong uh, dollar. We're talking about Janet Yellen, the White House Treasury Secretary, or I should say the the Treasury Secretary of the United States, talking about strong balance sheets uh, in, in, in homes. And you have discussed here that we are anything but strong balance sheets, especially when you look at PPI producer price index and what it costs to create goods and where stock is, where inventories are. So is this jobs number a number that should make people start feeling that confidence or are there other numbers that people should be paying much more attention to? Okay, let me tell you the dirty little secret of why this big jump is occurring, Tony, and why we'll have another big jump next time these numbers come out. Because productivity, you ask for another number, Productivity. Our productivity is the amount of work we produce per hour of labor. It is the biggest drop in the history of this number. We're down 7.3%, Tony. That means every person is producing less. Guess what happens when you produce less, Tony? You need more workers. That's all that's happening. We have 7% less productivity in our country for regulation because of taxes, because of anti-business environment because we don't have enough skilled labor, because Washington has given you student loans to go to be, you know, and learn to be a philosopher instead of an accountant or an engineer. And so what, what we have, Tony, is we have lower productivity, which means you just need more workers. That's it. You're less productive. We need more of you. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. I want to go over this uh, a, a little more, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. The, the question before us is, what is it that we're seeing? The White House is going to tell us something. Our pockets tell us something different. You heard Ron and Sana there uh, say prices at the grocery store are going down. I have not personally seen that uh, myself or felt that uh, myself. I don't think people see that in the price of meat or the price of milk. I don't think they see that when they see still emptier shelves uh, than, than normal. But the question is, are we seeing signs that the economy is on its way back? I have got the Bank of England that has stated we will they won't get to their target rate of inflation of 2% until 2025. They just had their biggest rate increase, I think, since uh, the Bank of England started really taking care of these things, or I should say since 1997. Um, We are still seeing the Fed signaling an increase in interest rates. So where is the average American on this? Do they take heart or do they take solace and keep kind of uh, making sure they can ride out this storm for however long it lasts? Well, Tony, you know, I can't hear what people are saying because reality is too loud. Um, All I know is when I go to the shelves, they're empty. When I go to the grocery store, the goods are not cheaper. When I look at the data, inflation is 9-plus percent annualized. Tony, I'll give you a piece of information. You know, Biden I saw last week talked about the supply chain is fixed. We don't have ships waiting off the port of Los Angeles. Tony, that's an absolute outright lie. We have 153 ships as of last week waiting to go into ports around the U.S. What's happened, they've just simply dispersed themselves to different areas. 
so the, instead of seeing all this mass in in one spot, they've moved it to different spots. But the supply chain issues uh, still remain. This is where it gets very, very ugly. The whole thing gets remarkably, sir, uh, convoluted. Uh, that there's no way to change the fact that we saw a lot of people add jobs. Where were these jobs added? The, the number one place that we saw jobs added, Tony, was in the service sector. Um, the service sector, um, hotel, transportation, entertainment, those areas with summer demand. Now, here's the problem, Tony. Those places also saw the biggest wage increase. I'm happy for a guy that got a high pay raise, but that fuels inflation. So if you're talking about wage inflation, causing more inflation for all of us in the economy, it's in the wrong place. You'd rather have that inflation be incurring in manufacturing labor, not in service labor. So the service economy is where we see the growth, Tony, and that's um, why the market went down today. The market went down because they saw that increase in wages. And they said, "Uh uh-oh, inflation is not under control. I don't know what this guy was smoking. I don't know who he's talking to. But the fact is the market saw inflation here live and strong. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, and you are right. Leisure and hospitality leads the way with 96,000 jobs, professional and business services at 89,000, then healthcare, uh, followed by construction, manufacturing, retail trade, and transportation and warehousing. The number that always bothers me when we take a look at jobs is government, plus 57,000. Now, you'd still have a gigantically high number compared to the expectation. Even without that, should we be including government jobs? Jobs as something as, uh, look, people got a job, we're, we're better off? Well, no. And, 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 Tony, that is, in the data I always talk about, I, don't, I try not to include government data, um, government jobs, but that is included in a lot of the stuff that you see. That's bad growth. It's kind of like when the government spends more money, the GDP goes up. That's not a good thing. That's a bad reason for the GDP to go up if the government's spending more money. So, yes, government hiring people, that's what they do in China. That's what they do in uh, the former Soviet Union, Venezuela, Cuba. That's not how you grow your economy, Tony, by adding government jobs. So I jumped around a little bit there, and I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to confuse anybody as you were talking about how the supply chain is going. These are the things that people are, are we, we've been talking about. And, and they understand because they own a business and it's hard to get goods. You talk to people who are in, for example, uh, they sell patio furniture. Well, dear Lord, best of luck getting a container uh, from China. You're ordering incredible months in advance and hope to be able to get what you get when you get it. And then you have to have a place to store all of those goods. And we've had conversations about where we are with inventories and how this uh, uh, affects things and how this affects, for example, capital outlays when we're talking about investing in new equipment. Is there anything in this market, anything that economists are seeing that would give business owners a reason to make strong investment in themselves right now? Well, you know, Tony, I can tell you that the live report from the PMI that came out just a couple of days ago says no. Inventories are still shrinking. Why are they shrinking? Because Walmart and Target and these organizations, they bought too much. People aren't buying as much as they were. Now, you know, you hear the bragging about, oh, people are buying, the consumer's buying. Yeah, but guess how they're buying, Tony? They're tapping into their savings. That's not a good thing. You want to sell, bought, purchase with your income, not your savings. And so these companies overshot how much they thought the consumer was going to buy. So, no, I don't think the inventories are a good sign right now. It's actually the picture just looks a little bleak. 
You have seen the Fed make its moves. The conversation is it's going to make another move uh, this month in that half percent, three quarter percent uh, type of way. When I talk about the Bank of England decide uh, stating, stating out loud that they don't expect to get to their two percent uh, tra- uh, inflation number till 2025. You think they're uh, optimistic or uh, skeptimistic? I think they're realistic, Tony. Um, I think our Federal Reserve Board has to be every time they see the you know, the Inflation Creation Act is what I'm going to call it. And every time they talk about, you know, the CHIPS Act, our Federal Reserve Board has to be putting their hand in their face in their hands and saying, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. We're trying to stop inflation, stop creating it. Yet these other countries, I think they're very realistic, at least in what the Bank of, New Eng- uh, Bank of England is saying. I think they're on target. Now let me bring you to something that has we, we've discussed before but has now received new life because you have a Senator Cinema saying that she will go along with what they're calling the Inflation Reduction Act, which is going to increase taxes on certain uh, in- individuals. It will increase spending by $449 uh, billion. They're going to spend for uh, climate and a series of things. This is Senator Angus King. Uh, uh, he's an independent out of Maine discussing this on CNN. Give this a listen. Absolutely. This is actually going to reduce the deficit. In fact, one of the provisions in the bill is to reduce the the federal debt by $300 billion. So that was one of the things that Joe Manchin and I and others insisted be part of the bill. So, yeah, I I don't think there's going to be any problem on the number side. There's some uh, sort of in the weeds issues about what you can do in a reconciliation bill in terms of policy. And that's what the parliamentarian is working through this week. But uh, that was a big deal last night that uh, we now appear to have a a final deal that uh, you're, you're going to have 50 votes for. Senator Cinema going along with this. They're getting rid of the carried interest uh, loophole conversation. They're going to continue to allow this. There's a letter out from 230 economists saying, don't do this. It's going to absolutely uh, uh, contribute to what they refer to as skyrocketing inflation. It's going to be a burden on the U.S. economy. You've gone through this legislation, sir. How bad is this? Or is are the Democrats right? And this investment is going to create a lot of economic opportunity. Uh, Tony, you know, I, I hate to have to cooperate with uh, 200 and, or agree with 230 theoretical institutional university economists, but I agree with them. This thing is, whether you're left or right, this thing is obviously going to create inflation. Because, Tony, it, remember this cash and stuff analogy? They're going to reduce the amount of stuff. If you impose a 15% minimum corporate tax, you're going to reduce stuff. If you increase the number of IRS audits, you're going to reduce stuff. If you increase the top level of uh, individual tax rate up to 45%, you're going to reduce the amount of stuff, Tony. So this thing not only spends government money, but it also reduces the amount of stuff in the economy. That's a bad combination. In about 30 seconds or less, and this is one heck of a history lesson to engage in 30 seconds or less, the argument regarding the Great Depression was that the government kept trying to fix things and therefore made things worse. Is this a parallel? Um, The details are not the same, but the behavior is the same. It is the government trying to fix things, but the situation is different in that at that time they were were, um, very tight money. They were causing actually uh, deflation rather than inflation. But, yes, the government trying to fix it is the problem rather than letting the free market. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, Dr. Matt Will, W-I-L-L, on the Twitter box. Find him right there, Dr. Matt Will. I appreciate you taking the time. We've got more to get to. I'm Tony Katz.
So it's very good to see states that are pushing back against ESG. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? ESG, this environmental social governance, what it basically is, is it's wokeism in economic policy pushed through banks, through these lending institutions. That's where the wokeness has settled in. And they say, well, if you don't ascribe to this philosophy, if you don't do this thing, if you aren't invested here, if you're not diverse enough, well, then we won't lend you money. So West Virginia, the state of West Virginia, has announced that it would bar five major financial institutions, the reporting from Fox Business, including BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, and J.P. Morgan, from entering into banking contracts with the state's treasurer's office or any state agency. Why? Because what they're pushing is pure, outright, unadulterated bigotry. These people don't believe in actual diversity. They believe in you bending the knee to what it is they desire. And they're bending the knee to others because they're trying to show how good and decent they are. Now, these companies, the reason that West Virginia went this route, these companies committed to policies limiting commercial engagement with the quote-unquote fossil fuel industry. You, you, you mean the stuff that powers all the things we need to go in so we can survive as a society. That, that's what you're talking about. They paid a uh, $769 million in taxes to West Virginia state government, and their line is, according to their state treasurer, Riley Moore, we're not going to pay for our own destruction we're not going to subsidize that they have weaponized our tax dollars against the very people in industry that have generated them to begin with that's why we're pushing back against this esg movement this is fantastic this is fantastic you can make an argument that a company could do what it will and it has its its requirements right for for a loan but you mean the requirements for a loan aren't financial? The requirements for a loan are, are what they decide is social? They don't want diversity. They want the veneer of diversity. They don't actually ask you if you're diverse. They want you to pretend that you're diverse in how who shows up to a board meeting so they can feel good about themselves and who they lend to. And they can make radical demands of you. Radical demands of, oh, you have to do this, so you have to spend your money here, or have to make investment here, otherwise we can't work with you. Pushing back on this stuff is extremely, extremely important. I'm glad to see West Virginia doing it. I'm curious to see what other red states do it. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So today, we're going to see some votes. We're going to see whether or not Hoosiers get their money back. We're going to see where the General Assembly is on abortion. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. Great uh, to be with you. Uh, Eric Berman joins us right now, chief political correspondent here at 93 WIBC. Let's start with the abortion uh, conversation and where the the deal was struck. This was uh, the House Speaker, Todd Houston, on the subject. We'll uh, kind of play by ear. We'll... Uh see what we do, see what they do, and then take it by, uh, uh, you know, take whatever action needs to be taken at that point. Well, I sound ve- that sounds very confident. I personally feel like this is well in hand, except 
I don't. It seems that both sides went to some real levels of, of, of outside the envelope and then brought it back into where they were. What is the abortion deal that has been struck? And will the House and the Senate come to an agreement on it? Well, so what the House has come up with, what's in it right at, at the moment right now, 10-week limit on uh, on abortion for rape or incest, um, up to 20 weeks in case of a lethal fetal anomaly, basically the baby can't survive outside the womb, or if there's a serious health risk to the mother. Everything else is banned. Elective abortion is banned. Um that's what the House came up with. That comes up for a vote today. Um, the Speaker said that uh, he does expect it will pass the House, but uh, as you just played, he says he's not making any predictions about the Senate. Um, I don't know if we could call this a deal or not. I think this is probably more in the nature of this is the best we can come up with, and we'll put it in front of the Senate caucus. Um, remember that the Senate, when they passed their version last week, barely had enough votes, and that was probably a case of people either deciding on their own or being urged by leadership, look, keep it, keep it moving. If you vote now, if you vote no now, it's dead. Vote yes to keep it moving. Well, now it's crunch time. The votes today potentially end the special session. If, if this gets approved in the House and Senate as is, we're done here. So it's, people have it, to decide once and for all if they're good with it. And so the, part of the, this this. 10-week and 20-week thing is that if you're going to engage the conversation of what they're describing as fetal anomalies or, or, or health risks to a mother, that could also happen at 25 weeks and, and at 30 weeks in terms of things going wrong and, and, and issues with uh, the, the life of the mother. So there's no, there's no room for that even past the 20 weeks in this legislation? There is, actually, at least according to the uh, the House sponsor, Wendy McNamara out of Evansville. Her argument is the reason she put that in is 20 weeks, and the, in the Senate version, there wasn't a limit on those cases. Her argument is after 20 weeks, it's a medical decision anyway, that the doctor is going to do what's, what's medically appropriate. You don't need a separate language to, to govern it. There was one version, and I'm not sure if this is still the wording, there was one version where that was simply excluded from the definition of an abortion. So their argument, I don't know if uh, if the many doctors groups that have testified would agree 100 percent, but her argument is, yeah, in those cases, it's covered. The, the 20 weeks is really just uh, just wording. The, the real prohibition is on anything that's not medically related. That's banned completely with the exception of rape and incest at 10 weeks. Talking to Eric Berman, chief political correspondent here at 93 WIBC. He's the dean of the state house. You bring up that if there is no deal, um, well, the session is over. The session ends today or the session ends tomorrow? Um, okay, so let me clarify both of those things. Session potentially ends today. That's if there is a deal. If there's no deal, that does not end the session. A yes vote ends the session. A no vote means they've got until August 14th. They've got nine more days to come up with something that, that both sides can approve. But we are past the point. You know, last week when the Senate voted, they could have killed this dead. Or actually, one of the more interesting procedural maneuvers, the uh, House Democrats at one point, they passed the... The, uh, the tax relief bill and immediately move to adjourn the session. Um, you know, motion to adjourn is always in order. That would have ended the session had it passed. It didn't, of course. Um, but yeah, no vote last week in the Senate would have killed the bill. 
a no vote in the Senate today just means we don't like this version. Discussions continue. So the only thing at this point that kills anything in the legislature is if they run out of time on the 14th. Put a pin in that. We're going to get back to the end of session. I'm actually writing myself a little note here. Now let's get to the money. Instead of $225 for every Hoosier, which is what Governor Holcomb said he wanted to do for inflation relief, it's going to be $200 for every uh, tax-paying Hoosier. And then they're going to take $80 million and put it to prenatal and postnatal care. How did this deal come about? Um, this is your basic House and Senate getting in a room and uh, saying, okay, this is what you want, this is what I want, let's, uh, let's see what we can package together so both of us get something. Um, the Senate has been adamant pretty much, if not from the, the – from a couple of weeks before the session started, when they came out and said what they wanted, they were never on board with the tax rebate. Uh, they they said, look, we've got too many things that where we uh, where we owe money. We've got a four and a half billion dollar unfunded pension liability. Um, what this does is put a billion dollars toward that, which is even more than what the Senate had initially proposed. So they got some attention on the debt side. The House got the look. We need to give money to taxpayers. The uh, the Senate had a couple of things not on your income tax but other taxes that you pay that would have saved you about 70 bucks the uh, the house version as you've said goes to 200 it's a little bit smaller than what the governor proposed because one thing the house and senate both agreed on was look if we're going to do a rebate it shouldn't just be tax filers. There are, between, depending on who you ask, between 300,000 and 900,000 people who don't file a tax return because their income is Social Security or there are some other things where they're not required to file. And so they're not in the system. They are made eligible by this, but to keep the amount of money going back at a billion dollars, they had to reduce the amount that each person gets. It's interesting that we have a $6.1 billion surplus. They do want to pay off some pension liabilities, but to reduce the amount of money that Hoosiers would get based on the number they put out and then say, well, it's so we can put $80 million towards prenatal, postnatal care, I think is going to rub Hoosiers the wrong way. Has there been any concern about that? I don't think that's been controversial. In fact, I, th- I think this is going to pass overwhelmingly. This is going to have bipartisan support. Um, this one does have an agreement between the House and Senate, unlike the abortion bill. Um, you know, the, the $80 million of the old Ev Dirksen line, a billion here, a billion there, pretty soon you're talking about real money. Real money, uh, right. Yeah. $80 million is a tiny fraction of the billion dollars that they're giving, but that they're putting into pensions or the billion dollars that they're doing on the tax side much less the $6.1 billion that there are in the overall reserves. What the governor said at the outset when he called the special session was the, the budget agency thinks we can afford to give a billion dollars back to Hoosiers without jeopardizing our reserves, without putting us in a bad spot if the economy goes south. So a billion – well, the 225 has been his figure – He's been talking for a while about a billion dollars going back. So it's it's still a billion dollars going back. There's that additional billion on the pension side, but that one is written as the legislature often does, where it's at the end of the fiscal year, that's when that billion goes over. Hold on that a means- second. 
Hold on a second. A billion dollars and $225 is not an equivalent thing. You told people 225 it's not. That's not going to be looked at well, and it's not going to be able to be spun as, well, he said a billion dollars, and that's where it is. But before I let you go, Eric, so the first one is a yes-no question because I'm up against time. Is it possible that the special session could approve the money back to Hoosiers and not approve a bill about abortion? Yes. Now, here's a question that I'm actually going to ask you on a personal level, uh, based on your analysis, your years of of working the the state house. If the general and and, and you don't have to answer it, right? I, I never like to put the news guy in the spot, but this I'm very curious about your take on perception. If there is no resolving of abortion in Indiana, and this goes now to the general session, the regular general session in January. Exactly how ugly does this get in the state of Indiana? How much attention comes to the state of Indiana? How bad of a shape will Republicans be in because of this? How do Democrats utilize this? I'll give you 60 seconds to answer a big-ass question. (laughs) Well, I would say two things. Number one, this is coming back in January regardless. The the main work is going to be done today or at at a minimum next week, assuming that they get something passed. But even if they get something passed, there's going to be be tweaks in January. A couple of legislators have even said, you know, by January, we'll have three months of data on what has happened to the abortion rate, um, what happens in Marion County, where Ryan Mears has said he won't file any criminal cases. Criminal penalties are out of the bill, but there's still some concern on doctors' parts about some things that were already in law. Um, we've got three months of data. We can make further adjustments. We talked about the $80 million going to prenatal services. Remember, that's, that's on the table precisely because of the abortion bill. They're arguing, look, we get that there's going to be more births. We're going to put more resources toward that. That's a discussion that may resume in January. The, uh, the governor's health commission issued their recommendations yesterday. He, he's already said long ago that he's going to be asking for a big chunk of money for health across the board. So all of this is coming back in January. How ugly does it get? Look, it's a, it's abortion. There is Yesterday was unusual and Tuesday was unusual in the House in that it was a 99% civil debate on abortion. But this is not a subject that lends itself to gent- gentility. Uh, it's, it's going to get ugly regardless and whatever they pass, whether they pass something or whether they don't pass something they're going to have a large chunk of people mad at them. You know, not everything is political. Not everything has to be uh, political. Sometimes you just find something that's just, you know, well, funny, I guess, or interesting, or curious, or just downright insane. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. And then sometimes you find this. Your car's seatbelt, safety miracle or decapitation nightmare? What is the connection between rain and farming? The answer may surprise you. Heroin, sex, machine guns, flamethrowers, murder. There's no story here. We've just found that ratings go up when we say those words. It's time for the worst headline of the day. Indiana suspends license of Jeffersonville funeral director following discovery of decomposing bodies. Damn. Just damn. So the state of Indiana suspends the license of this funeral home 
More than 30 bodies decomposing. How? How is that possible for for what what was taking place now i will tell you if you want a a full level of disgusting here there were real stories about how funerals and burials were uh delayed because of covid and we have to understand that it's not a rational thing it's it's radical that you would not engage in a funeral properly because, oh, well, there's a virus. We can't bury this person. That's radical. I am not discussing if a hospital happened to have been dealing with a lot of people who are elderly and people died and they were, I mean, as horrible as it sounds, overloaded. That's not the conversation. But rather the delaying of actual funerals is as barbaric of a conversation, of a philosophy, of an idea as I've ever heard. And it happened. People are like, well, we have to for the public safety. Stop it. Everything about lockdowns for the public safety was a lie. And guaranteed, these lunatics will try it again. Make sure you fight them at every turn. When they tell you you can't visit your parents, uh, go walk right in. Pay no attention. This is my take. Maybe because this is what I did. Now, my parents don't live in a, in a nursing home. By the way, if the nursing home has rules, well, you might have to deal with those rules and maybe move your parents out of a nursing home. Maybe that's your plan. I don't know. You can't go see somebody. You can only see them behind glass. Don't live that way. Don't live that way. Please, please, please don't live that way. People should disregard the radicalness of, of frightened children And those who like to frighten children by saying, oh, we have to shut down, we have to lock down. But in this case, how do you, what happened with families of these deceased? Did they not notice that a funeral didn't take place? Or was it about uh, something having to do with crematoriums? It boggles the mind, freaks me out. Then came this story out of Indy. Different story, different level of freakout. IMPD, that's the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department, unveiling new mobile safe, public safety cameras, part of a technology upgrades. They now have seven of these mobile camera units, trailers that can be deployed to hotspots and uh, large gatherings, to deter crime and hold offenders accountable, violence does happen. I do not like this as a solution. Now, uh, before anybody yells me, oh, great, you're looking for solutions, Tony, and the first thing they do, you're like, no, I don't like it. You can't be satisfied. Oh, I I can. I keep making the same argument, and they refuse to listen to a rational argument. The issue of violence in the streets of Indianapolis is cultural, and that includes the total lack of support for cops, the failure to prosecute all crimes, or at least the argument being made that people feel that their crime may not be prosecuted, so therefore, what does it matter? And that's not based on nothing, that's based on actions of the prosecutor. 
and the culture that says anything that goes wrong, you have to respond with violence. Anybody who slights you, you have to stand up for your honor. What are you going to do? Look like a chump or a punk in front of your friends. That's where a lot of this comes from. Societally, culturally, we have something missing that we need to reintroduce or something in culture that we need to extricate. This is my point of view. More cameras puts forth the idea that what happens is you have to monitor the people 24-7. That's the only way to keep them safe. Monitor them. We're not China. We have to do things the tougher way. But it gets you a better result. The China way doesn't make anything better. And once you get used to everybody watching you all the time, well, then what else can they do? It is the introduction of government intrusion, and the result is awful. Uh, to to quote uh, my, my late grandmother, it sucks. I actually don't know if Ethel ever said that, but man, I would have laughed out loud if she did. And by the way, her, her name was Ethel. Immigrant from Poland, what a story. Find everything at TonyCats.com. I'll catch you on Monday, everyone. Take care.